Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be joining us. We'll be talking about the lack of wisdom of the minimum wage. And uh, my wife, Linda, will be joining us. She, she's the author of Greetings from Paradise. Hasn't written one in a while, but it's always great to get her insight on what's happening across the country. It is February the 23rd, and on this day in 1954, a group of children from Arsenal Elementary School in Pittsburgh received the first injections of a new polio vaccine developed by Dr. Jonas Salk. Poliomyelitis was a highly contagious disease that emerged in terrifying outbreaks and seemed impossible to stop. It was attended by a, a plague of fear as well. I recall my mother's fear of polio so much. Attacking the nerve cells and sometimes the central nervous system, polio caused muscle deterioration, paralysis, and even death. Even as medicine vastly improved in the first half of the 20th century in the Western world, Polio still struck, affecting mostly children, but sometimes adults as well. You may recall that uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, our president of the United States, had contracted polio at the age of 21. In the late 40s, the March of Dimes, a grassroots organization founded by President Roosevelt, helped to find a way to defend against polio, enlisted Dr. Jonas Salk, head of the Virus Research Lab at the University of Pittsburgh, Salt found that polio had as many as 125 strains of three different basic types and that an effective vaccine needed to combat all three by growing samples of the polio virus and then deactivating or killing them by adding a chemical called formalin. Uh, Salk developed his vaccine, which was able to immunize without infecting the patient. After mass inoculations began in 1954, everyone marveled at the high success rate, some 60 to 70 percent, until the vaccine caused a sudden outbreak of some 200 cases. After it was determined that the cases were all caused by one faulty batch of the vaccine, production standards were improved, and by August 1955, some 4 million shots had been given. Cases of polio in the United States were dropped from 14,647 in 1955 to 5,894 in 1956, and by 1959, some 90 other countries were using Salk's vaccine. A later version of the polio vaccine developed by Albert Sabin used a weakened form of the live virus and was swallowed instead or of injected. It was licensed in 1962 and soon became the more popular than Salk's vaccine as it was cheaper to make and easier for people to take. There's no cure for polio once it's been contracted but the use of vaccines has virtually eliminated polio in the United States. According to the World Health Organization, polio cases have been reduced by 99% and survives only among the world's poorest, most marginalized communities. The World Health Organization hopes to eradicate the disease by providing every child with the vaccine. Dr. Jonas Salk. 
So the Florida Department of Health reported 52 new cases of COVID-19 on Sunday and 45 cases on Monday with a seven-day moving average now at 77, which was on February the 21st. So number of cases is down substantially. 65 were in the hospital uh, as of because of COVID or related to COVID on Sunday. So cases are down here also around the United States as a seven-day average of newly confirmed cases in the United States drops dramatically, down from 66% for a month ago. Suzanne Judd, an epidemiologist at the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Public Health, says it's possible that we're approaching herd immunity. She points to the Columbia University study that estimates that the number of active COVID-19 cases in the U.S., could be 10 times the number confirmed through testing. That makes sense. The study published by the NPR ahead of the uh, peer review suggests that as of the end of January, more than a third of the U.S. population has already been infected with the coronavirus. You add the findings from the Columbia University to the number of vaccinations that have been rolling out, and it's possible that you could be approaching herd immunity, she said. We should know that within the next two to three months, if this trend holds, but this is definitely the most positive news we could have seen in a long time, she said. The pace of vaccinations continues to increase under the Biden administration. New data from the White House shows that U.S. is administering about 1.7 million doses per day. As of Friday, more than 59 million doses had been administered since vaccination efforts began in the U.S. on December the 14th, according to the CDC. So the president laid out this plan to have a million vaccinations in 100 days, uh, I should say 100 million in, a, in 100 days, we're running at about 1.7 million doses per day, so uh, they need to slow down to get to his, <laughs> his objective. By the way, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis trounced Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Rick Scott in a new poll of state Republicans. He earned 64% uh, support, 64% compared to 12% for Rubio and 10% for Scott, and a hypothetical three-way tie for primary for president. So uh, DeSantis' popularity among Republicans has been rising in the Sunshine State and nationally amid his handling of the COVID pandemic. Uh, this is a, just very impressive. He has done a great job as governor, protected us from some of the mandates that other states have faced. And, of course, the results in terms of our recovery here in Florida, just as good as any other state in the nation without mask mandates and shutdowns. Senator Josh Hawley, during a Monday Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, asked President Biden's nominee for Attorney General Merrick Garland whether he thought an unlawful border crossing into the U.S. should be, remain a crime. Garland said he had not thought about that question. Now, this guy was just a whisk away from being a Supreme Court justice. Can you believe this? He hasn't thought about the question. One of the most important issues facing the United States, Garland said the, uh, President Biden had been clear that the U.S. is a nation with borders and is concerned about national security. I don't know of a proposal to decriminalize, but still make it unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to the question. I haven't thought about it, he said. Ollie, of course, is uh, from Missouri. Then asked Garland whether he would carry on with prosecuting illegal border crossings. Well, this is, again, a question of allocation of resources, he said. The department will prevent unlawful crossing, he said, noting that he does not know what the current program even is with respect to this. 
He said, I assume that the answer would be yes, though I uh, does not know what the issues are surrounding the whole situation. So uh, a real hedge on his part. But wouldn't you like to hear a guy who's going to be the uh, Department of Justice uh, Attorney General say something like, well, if it's the law, I'm going to enforce it. And if it's a bad law, you've got to change it. That would be a great answer. Unfortunately, though, they're just, he's just uh, skimping around and making excuses. Well, our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more of, the, uh, of us. This is according to Justice Clarence Thomas. He declared Monday when the Supreme Court decided by one vote to hear none of the 2020 election cases raising issues of voter fraud and illegal, voter, uh, illegal votes. Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett voted with liberal justices to deny review of the lower court decision. Four justices must vote to hear a case to put it on the court's docket, but only three justices, Thomas, fellow conservative Samuel Alito, and libertarian Neil Gorsuch, voted to take uh, at least two of the four of the cases from November uh, 2020. All three dissenting justices took the unusual step of writing the opinions as to why the court should have uh, taken, at minimum, two of these cases. Now, Justice uh, Thomas, I think, is his statements are so clear and so uh, compelling. I would just encourage you, we're not going to have a chance to, to cover his entire statement, but it is very compelling and certainly worth a read. He says the Constitution gives to each state legislator authority to determine the manner of federal elections, he began. Yet both before and after the 2020 election, non-legislative officials in various states took it upon themselves to set the rules instead. As a result, we received an unusually high number of petitions and emergency applications contesting those changes. The petitions here present a clear example, he said. The Pennsylvania legislature established an unambiguous deadline for receiving mail-in ballots 8 p.m. on Election Day, dissatisfied, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended that deadline by three days, Thomas explained, referring to one of the rejected cases. These cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable, he said. For more than a century, the court has recognized that the Constitution operates as a limitation upon the state in respect to any attempt to circumscribe the legislative power to federal elections, he continued. Uh, because the federal Constitution does not, state, uh, does not state constitutions give state legislators authority to regulate federal elections, petitioners presented a strong argument that the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision violated the Constitution by overriding the clearly expressed intent of the legislature. Justice Thomas couldn't be more clear, and he couldn't be more correct either, and I don't know why these other justices uh, have decided to pull away from uh, making our federal election laws uh, stronger and, and making states enforce the election laws that they have on the books. Uh, as a consequence of this, we're not going to see much improvement, at least through the uh, Supreme Court, on our election process. And it's a shame. I, I think if perhaps if this is motivated politically, it may be because uh, Supreme Court justices don't want to see the Democrats packing the course court if they start to make decisions that go against their will. Just one thought. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. 
visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Boo Mortensen. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. I understand the legislative session starts next week, and the pins are set for for what's going to go. So how's everything looking? Well, um, so far it has been relatively uneventful, uh, mainly because uh, with the COVID issue, the Capitol is is basically shut down, so the public are not coming up in buses, you know, like they used to to, uh, visit their legislators. We've been doing a lot of Zoom, Zoom calls and the like. You know, people want to weigh in on what's going to happen this session. So, uh, And a lot of bills have yet to be filed, so hmm. I think we're going to have a flurry of activity um, this week because all the bills that people want to sponsor have to be filed before session starts. 
that's, so, that's where we are at this point. Yeah, that's so interesting. So uh, how's the budget looking? Well, we, uh, as, as you know, we, last summer we thought we'd be about $6 billion in the hole um, because of some of the good policies that Governor DeSantis implemented uh, where you know people could get back to work, et cetera. Um, we are probably just about a, million, a billion and a half, maybe two billion short of, of where we should be. Uh, and so we are going to, we're going to trim the budget. Um, and we're doing, we should be doing, and that is taking a deep dive into some of the projects and programs that we've been funding for years to uh, determine whether they're effective and, you know, good use of taxpayer dollars. So that's been going on over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. How's the tax, or I should say, tort reform looking? Well, we, uh, we've got some bills in the hopper that um, would, you know, would qualify as tort reform, including, you know, we we're trying to cut down some of the fraud in, the, in uh, uh, motor vehicle insurance, and so we're looking at reforming that, the no-fault insurance law. Um, we're looking at COVID liability bills. That's a big deal, particularly for um, uh, health care facilities. Trial lawyers are already uh, filing lawsuits. And, you know, it's hard because uh, how, how do we know what best practices are when there weren't any? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh, kind of interesting. I, I had back surgery last week, and uh, I went in for my pre-surge, my pre-op, or pre-op I guess they call it, uh, about five days before the operation, and it's, you know, the some of the things, they kind of uh, compromise the entire process just to try and avoid COVID, you know, liability. And uh, it was kind of an interesting process indeed. So, uh, you know, and here's the other thing, too. I mean, that we've already found out, I think just today I read that uh, there is very little or no uh, possibility of passing COVID because of food. And it just makes me wonder if perhaps restaurants and other purveyors of services might be liable because of COVID-19. Do you think that's going to be one of the problems? Uh, I, I think that we're going to take care of that in our uh, bills this year. We've got uh, two bills that are moving through the system. One is a uh, COVID liability immunity, not immunity, but just, yeah, I guess you can call it immunity for businesses that uh, follow CDC guidelines. And there's another one for healthcare facilities. You know, it, the thing about it is, if you remember back in March, we had no idea right. last year at March, anyway, uh, what what this virus was and how it was affecting people. It was just starting. And so, um, you know, businesses that followed the guidelines, that changed, actually, through the process, should not be held liable because nobody knew. And uh, unless they were, unless they're neg- grossly negligent, mm-hmm. you know, if... if uh, uh, like if you're a, uh, a store and you say to your employees, it, you must come to work and you can't wear a mask, well, that's, you know, that that could be liability there yeah. because at at some point we knew that mask wearing would be beneficial, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. We are, you know, we need to shield our businesses and our healthcare facilities from liability because the lawsuits are flying already and... You know, just defending them costs a ton of money. 
Yeah, absolutely. So unfortunately, speaking of which, the COVID numbers are down so substantially here in Florida. And I'm watching them here in Collier County, but across the state, across the nation, quite frankly, I think I read this down something mm -hmm. like 66%. Kind of amazing. And uh, maybe we're headed towards herd immunity. Maybe we can, uh, people are going getting vaccinated, of course, but maybe this, this thing is drawing to a, to a close. I, yeah, I, uh, that's what we're hearing. You know, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, a lot of people have had it. Um, more people than you think have had it, and uh, the vast majority of people who've had uh, had COVID either had the, the symptoms of a of the flu kind of symptoms, uh, asymptomatic in a lot of people, and so they they have immunity for a while, and then people are getting vaccinated, and so. Uh, we believe over time, as more and more people get vaccinated, uh, we'll be we'll probably be at a herd immunity stage. Yeah. Although we can't really define that, <laughs> there's been no definition of that yet. Understood. Well, it's kind of interesting. We even have uh, companies that are proposing to come up with new vaccines. So it's uh, the whole process is very interesting. I'm still find uh, the yes. uh, the information from the CDC and from other health authorities to be somewhat confusing. I don't have a lot of confidence. Well, that's true. Yeah, so. Well, the, the, the problem is, is we learn more and more about the virus. Uh, we change uh, our protocols. And, uh, you know, for example, the monoclonal antibodies that, that they give now to patients that have, uh, that have just developed symptoms. When they developed the antibodies, they were giving it to people who were very, very sick. Now they're finding out if they give it to people early on, it uh, arrests the development of the uh, virus. Yeah. You know, those are the kind of things that we're learning as we, as we go. Wow. You know, I, got, I had an, uh, a test uh, during my pre-op. <laughs> that was one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever had. Uh, my <laughs> brain tickler, they call it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It did stick it clear up to my hairline. It was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um you know we, we we joke with some of the medical professionals that there are some that are just very eager <laughs> and uh, others that are a little more temperate <laughs> yeah i would guess so kathleen pasadena again our state senator i genuinely appreciate you taking time for our listeners thanks so much for coming on the show thank you and have a great day you as well kathleen all right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortson. It's time to find out what's new with Boo right here on the Paradise Coast. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. 
Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortson, right here on the Paradise Coast. Boo, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. And you're up and about and walking, and you're a new man, huh? Uh, I really am. I'm so grateful that, uh, you know, I, I tried all the, I ran out of alternatives, what it amounted to. I wanted to avoid surgery, but uh, finally, the only alternative I had was surgery, and I'm so glad I did. I had a great surgeon. By the way, I, Dr. Gary Cologne was my neurosurgeon, and he did a fantastic job. And the consequences, all that nerve pain, everything is gone, and uh, I'm learning to walk upright again. <laughs> it's uh, kind of an amazing process. Well, that's great. I mean, it's always try. It's always good to try other alternatives, but sometimes you just need old-fashioned surgery. It's exactly right. And uh, well, like I say, he he did a great job. I've talked to people who've had surgery that had extended pain for long periods of time. The recovery was slow. I I don't think my recovery. I, I'm, you know, because the I was under for four and a half, five, five and a half hours, I should say. So it was major surgery. Wow. So it's going to take a while to recover fully, uh, and I probably won't be out in the golf course until about May. But nevertheless, each day gets better and better. Well, good for you. I'm glad it was a success. Thank you, Boo. Well, I think what we can talk about, and I realize there's a lot of really serious things, but sometimes, you know, you just get overloaded and overwhelmed by talking about serious stuff. Yep. So I'm going to take you back in time. Do you remember in 1961, there was ABC, CBS, NBC, three channels. Yes. And you know what were the most watched TV programs? In 1961. Well, um... I don't. I would imagine the nightly show. Well, who was that guy? I've forgotten who was even doing him. Arthur Godfrey, I would imagine. Well, no, maybe it was after his time. But to me, the, my favorite shows at the time were like Gunsmoke and Paladin. And, uh, yep. So, well, the three biggest shows where one in three Americans watched 
mm-hmm. were all westerns. Wagon Train, hmm. Bonanza, and Gunsmoke. Yeah, that's it. And I remember. And you know what? I remember, too. It was kind of a family event, wasn't it? At least in our family, we'd gather around the TV yep. to watch it together. He would. And then later on, when Ed Sullivan came and Disney on Sundays and all of the family, you know, it was a collective experience for all Americans. So yeah. then when you go to work on Monday, you'd sit around and stand around the cooler and you talk about the shows. Everybody watched it. It was, again, it was a, a collective experience that we as Americans all shared in. Now, there are so many different stations and programming. You know, it's, it's, I read where a guy said that it has, it is the fractionalization of the audience. Mm. In other words, everybody's watching different things, and it's contributed to a divided country because we're not sharing the same news or we don't even believe the same facts. Well, it's true, and I don't know if you've seen the, the social, I'm trying to remember, oh, the social dilemma. It's an, uh, yes, I have seen that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the actual attempt is to try and divide us, is to, to amplify our feelings against certain things, and it actually serves to divide us as a nation. And it's working. Yeah, it is. Absolutely working. So, uh, it is. I, I want to just take a moment to recommend that uh, video. We just saw it this week. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's an hour and 36-minute documentary by Netflix well worth watching to understand how social media is play, having an influence on our, and, and not a positive influence on our lives. No, and the show is so well done, and they have heavyweight people on this show. I mean, these are guys that wrote the platforms, mm-hmm. that developed the programming, um, uh, and they say, we never thought it would end up like this. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was all in, in, uh, put together with, with uh, good intent. Needless to say, there's unintended consequences. The one part of the, uh, the uh, I, of course, it couldn't have covered. It was developed. I think the show was uh, was produced or released in two, 2020. Is the impact that it had on the elections and what happened there? That was kind of an unaddressed issue, but nevertheless, you can make inferences based on the information they had. Oh, I, I think so. And, you know, don't you remember when you were a kid? You know, when we watched Disney, uh, it was such a big deal. And that's where when people had TV trays and you ate your dinner with your family yep. in front of a TV. And life was so wonderful and simple and not complex. You, you weren't being manipulated it was such a, a pure way of living. Yeah, it certainly was. I recall coming home from school, I don't remember what, what year it was, but uh, watching the Mickey Mouse Club with my friends. Like we'd all go over to Gary's house and plop down on the TV on the couch and watch the Mickey Mouse Club together. Oh, yeah, the Mouseketeers, the Annette Funicello. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. It, yeah, so those are, those are great days. Things have evolved now. And uh, do you watch much TV? No, I don't. They say the average American watches about four and a half hours. Boy, that's a far cry from from what I do. And then, and I have to say that with all the politics going on and and everybody's mad at everybody else, I've watched even less. 
you know, I'm kind of taking a personal time out from all of it, and I don't miss it, but I I read what's going on, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't watch, t- I watch very little. And, but I have to say, if Lauren and I are in at night, we'll watch uh, like a series or a, a documentary, so we do watch that, but, you know, it's just sheer entertainment. It's not... Uh, you know, I'm yeah. not watching CNN, and I, I I just don't have a tolerance for it anymore. Well, good for you. Well, uh, when you said four and a half hours, I'm assuming you mean four and a half hours a day TV. A day. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a long time of watching TV. Yeah, we're watching uh, we're watching series. I've just enjoyed so many of the nice series. Uh, Big Little Lies. I don't know if you're a little Big Lies. I'm not oh, sure. sure. If they've seen that at all. That's just so good and. Uh, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Have you seen that one? It's sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. And the Queen. We've seen the Queen. I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, that's great. And you know, it's interesting when I get together with girlfriends. That's one of the things we talk about: is what are you watching? What do you recommend? What should we be watching? What shouldn't we? You know, it's still kind of an interesting shared experience yeah. in. Uh, sharing what you're watching because so many people are now staying in more because of COVID. Yeah, you know what it has me scratching my head is how do these companies produce this, and I'm going to call it magnificent, these great productions. They really are outstanding without commercial breaks that we see on the, our normal ABC, CBS TV. You know, they, they are just outstanding productions. How do they make money? Yeah, because you don't, well, you pay for a subscription fee. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I can't believe that that covers it because the subscription fee isn't that much. Yeah, absolutely. But, Boo, you know what? I just genuinely appreciate your taking us back uh, to 1961 and away from the current political scene because it's a real slog. You're just t- seeing what's going it on. It is. And sometimes you just need a break and think about when times were better. Absolutely. Boo, genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. My pleasure. Have a great day, and I'm glad about your surgery. Thank you so much, Boo. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You 
listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with my wife, Linda. Right now, we have the Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. We exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and Biden isn't helping. No, he's not helping at all. Well, you wrote a brilliant piece. I'm telling you, I, I wish everybody could read this. It's called The Minimum Wage and Other Examples of Government Breaking the Laws of Economics. It's unbelievable. Tell us about it. Well, of course, we see the Democrats, Republicans too, don't get me wrong, but mostly Democrats, breaking the law and getting away with it all the time. Mm-hmm. And when in, in their more honest moments, like with Obamacare, they exempt themselves from the laws they foist on us. Right. Um, but there are some laws that don't come from government. They exist in nature. Um, you know, uh, Sir Isaac Newton's law of gravity and his three laws of motion. Um, and then there are laws of economics. There, there, you know, there, there are metaphysical truths about money and numbers and... Uh, the, the, those sorts of things, there and and government breaks them all the time, right. um, and that that's why we're twenty eight trillion dollars in debt. That's why Social Security and Medicare, which fundamentally the, the two programs break several laws of economics, um, they're they're facing a hundred trillion dollars in shortfalls uh, in, in the next thirty years. Um, so the government breaks these economic laws all the time. The minimum wage breaks several economic laws, one of which is productivity d- dictates wages. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, you cannot make somebody worth less than $15 an hour. You, uh, you can't make somebody worth $15 an hour by outlawing paying them less than $15 an hour. Right. If their productivity is their productivity, and if their productivity is only $10 an hour, you have to pick up that $5 an hour somewhere else. And as we saw, you know, we had a metropolitan lab rat in Seattle. As we saw when they imposed $15 an hour, two things happened. Mm-hmm. They, either fired, they either fired people and or cut, way, cut hours for people. Or, how it or, goes. or closed their business. Well, that's, that's the ultimate. Yeah, that's, that's cutting everybody's hours, right? Right. right. Um, including the owners. Um, we saw this, my favorite, this is my favorite, Bernie Sanders during his campaign. 
I'm raising my wages to fifteen dollars an hour for the for the lowliest campaign staffer, and then he cut their hours. <laughs> so the, the, this this is a immutable fact. So the minimum wage, you know, I didn't even get into the fact that there's nowhere in the Constitution. In fact, it violates the Constitution that the federal government set a minimum wage. We we have the freedom to assemble with employers, um, and we we have the freedom to negotiate our wages. And I don't want the government collectively bargaining on my behalf. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, see- also, if you're sitting around waiting for the government to give you a raise, you're doing it wrong. Right. Um, all of that being said, there are many other instances where the government violates the laws of economics. Um, there are. There's always been a push. You know, we have unlimited uh, data plans on cell phones, but they're expensive. Mm-hmm. And do you have plans that you pay for by the gig? And people who use less, um, you know, want to pay less. Well, the, the Democrats keep pushing to eradicate data caps, mm-hmm. which, of course, is stupid because you know if you're using very little data and there are no data caps on the people who are using a lot of data the people who use little data will pay more to subsidize the big data hawks makes sense that's just math right um you know the 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 bandwidth that allows people to use data is a finite resource and costs money to produce right it it's not a, it's not a bottomless pit of bandwidth that doesn't cost anything to produce. So you're shifting cost by doing that from from high users to low users. Now, of course, the highest users of all are the big tech companies, right. the, the data, I mean the uh, content providers, Netflix, YouTube, Google, Facebook, um, and they all push for net neutrality. What does net neutrality do, amongst many other stupid things? It outlaws Internet providers, the people who build the, the bandwidth capacity, from charging the big data tech companies any money at all for any of the bandwidth they use. Right. Well, well this, is, this is obliterating data caps on stilts. This is make you know, we, the user, the regular user, the grandma who only emails her grandkids, is going to have to pay dramatically more right. to subsidize Google and Facebook and augment their pro- uh, profits. And, and that, of course, is completely antithetical. Uh, you know, the, the, the principle of net neutrality, the principle of obliterating data caps is antithetical to economics. And is very helpful uh, to cronyism and the biggest companies benefiting to the detriment of the little people uh, who will have to pay much more to subsidize and these I'm, people I'm, because we're violating the basic laws of economics. Absolutely. And, and you know, Seton, I guess uh, for sure, you know these big tech companies can count on the full support of President Biden and his administration for sure. Uh, it's uh, just and the other the other thing I wanted to mention to you. You talked about the uh, people breaking the law in Washington D.C. I find a certain level of irony and humor in the fact they now have a razor fence around the the uh, Capitol. <laughs> yeah, we finally we finally got these these gangsters in jail where they belong. <laughs> well, yes, I, I kind of think of them as um, the the, the uh, guards at East in East Berlin. Right. Um, 
Yeah, the, 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 yeah. The, these, the, I would like to. You know, everybody wants to tear it down, and the people who live in D.C. want to tear it down. I understand that, um, uh, but I, I would like to build it higher. Actually, yeah. Um, so <laughs> absolutely, so much. And the other, the other, the other point that I want to make, Seton, is that the analogy to, uh, to the uh, caps on uh, the uh, data plans data. and uh, the minimum wage. It's a, it's a good one. One other comment about the, the actual minimum wage is nothing. When you don't have a job, you're not earning anything. So the minimum wage is nothing. What Congress does and what these other uh, government organizations do when they raise the minimum wage, I mean, you, why not just raise it to $100 an hour? Well, yeah, exactly. And then, and and, and Lim, Rush Limbaugh, talk, the late great Rush Limbaugh, talked about that. You, you said, you know, challenge these people, you know, and keep raising the amount. Well, yeah. why not two hundred? Why not five hundred? Yeah. At some point, they'll go. Well, that's too much for business. Yeah. And you're like, well, then anything's too much for business. That's and you, you've proven my point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's you know it's absurd. And again, I, I wrote about the minimum wage way back in like 2004 when I was living in Texas. And I compared it to the teacher salaries, and the, every year the media would, the Texas media would scream and say that Republicans were miserly because they weren't paying uh, Texas teachers California wages. Right. And I said, well, wait a minute. It costs a lot less to live in Texas than it does in 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 California and Connecticut, which were the two biggest paying teacher states. So I I found a realtor calculator. And it, and it, you you picked the city you lived in, and you punched in your new city and your and your salary in the old city, and it told you what you need to do make to break even. And I compared like Austin and San Francisco and Dallas and or, or Waco and Stamford, Connecticut, and it was like two to one cheaper in Texas. Yeah. So to have the minimum wage blanketly applied to Manhattan of uh, New York and Manhattan, Kansas makes absolutely no sense whatsoever because it's much cheaper yeah, like, to live in Manhattan, Kansas, and therefore the the minimum wage is extra debilitating to what it would be in Manhattan, New York. Yeah, what a great point. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with my wife, Linda. She writes uh, Greetings from Paradise. It's been a while since she's written uh, that column, but you can find all of them uh, for the past year or more uh, on my website, uh, Greetings from Paradise. Just do the uh, pull-down tab, Greetings from Paradise. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, 
visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government does provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing social networking platform. You just go to uh, choicesocial.us and you can uh, upload the app. It's really a terrific website, uh, especially kind of focused on pictures. But take a look at choicesocial.us. We have with us Linda Harden. As I mentioned before the break, she is uh, renowned for her column, Greetings from Paradise. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, um, I'm afraid to to break this, but Greetings from Paradise is going to be shut down as of March 1st, so um, you may have to introduce me going as forward as a political pundit as or, the, or frequent uh, right, guest uh, yeah, or, or former columnist. Exactly. <laughs> so why are you shutting down? Um, because the company that I had to hire to put um, this uh, email newsletter through is is changing its whole format and social platform. And I, quite frankly, I don't want to go through all of their hoops in order to do that. And number two, um, uh, the pushback that I've gotten from trying to bring good news about our beautiful paradise here um, has been getting a lot of pushback, saying, well, it's not so beautiful because... Uh, and so it's a, everything has been so divisive. You know, I, quite frankly, all this uh, virus has created, I think, some... Some prickly feelings among uh, neighbors right now. Used to people were much more open and accepting, and uh, part of that may just be as a result of just people being all masked up and irritable. Well, it is. I mean, when I when my one of my last um, newsletters said, "A wonderful, uh, lucky we were to be living in the free Florida, thanks to Ron DeSantis," and some of the responses I got were, "DeSantis should be in prison," yeah. and, and it was just like, really, I you know, I don't feel like. <laughs> I don't feel like um, having arguments like that. My my whole purpose in writing Greetings for Paradise was to give people news and, and exciting news and happy things that were going on in, in our, our paradise here and not to... Um, well, quite frankly, I don't know if you're going to send out an announcement to your followers that you're going to discontinue as of March the 1st, but I would imagine you're going to get a reasonable amount of pushback because so many people enjoyed uh, reading it. Yeah, we'll see. I, I have to do it. This week, but as you can, as you know, this week, starting as of yesterday, happy anniversary, yeah, um, has been a little tumultuous around our where we live and, and around our household for a number of different reasons. And as 
don't know if you want to make additional comments on that or should we move on but uh you, you mentioned before uh, as uh during the break that there more and more people are becoming republicans changing from democrats to republicans yeah it's, it's really interesting i was watching fox and friends which oh by the way is I, I keep giving them a chance to redeem themselves because of the debacle that happened with Fox after the election. But, um, and, and they're trying because they're coming out with more and more um, uh, interesting articles or, or topics that are, are Trump-worthy. Mm-hmm. And they said that people are just angry already with what Biden's doing, and they just said, we don't want that. We... we we realize that the Republicans provide opportunities for jobs and, and opening up this country way more than the uh, Biden and the, and the Democrats provide. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the stark difference between what you see with this Biden administration and uh, Trump. Trump, you know, for whatever his faults, the warts and pimples and things that people didn't like, he was working to make America great again. He was increasing wages for people. He was... Uh, keeping the borders closed and, uh, and for illegal entry. I mean, all these things make sense. And what doesn't make sense is what Biden is doing right now. And uh, I, I scratch my head when I listen to each of the proposals he comes up with. I said, how does that help make America great again? He's going actually to the, uh, <laughs> to the, to, uh, our, uh, to the rest of the world, to world leaders, and saying, you know, our, we're, we're no longer focused on being great again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. He's, you know, it just it makes me scratch my head. Well, it's it's almost like watching a movie because Biden is like the most. It's it's like he's a puppet. He's the most least presidential person we've ever seen in the White House. He's just he's just talking yeah. about somebody else's talking point. And they were mentioning too this morning that. That. Remember how, how Trump would go out and meet the reporters like every five minutes and yeah, give yeah. them as much time and many questions as they wanted? Where's Biden? Yeah. Yeah, he, well, <laughs> he's, it's uh, pretty amazing. And Garrett, uh, Gar- Merritt uh, Garland. Merritt, yeah. He, so he's uh, interviewing for the job in front of the Senate subcommittee uh, to become the attorney general. And uh, just he's asked the question, are you going to enforce uh, the uh, immigration laws? And he says, well, I'm not familiar with the immigration laws. Yeah, wouldn't you love to hear him say, you know what, if it's a law that's on the books, I'm going to enforce it as Attorney General, unless you change the law, it's your job to have good laws, uh, in saying that to the Senate uh, subcommittee. So it, it would be so refreshing to hear, you know, I don't want to have uh, another scholar, a uh, uh, constitutional scholar, I'd like to have somebody say, if it's the law, I'm going to enforce it. Well, just like Steve Bannon said on his five o'clock show yesterday, they played that that clip that you just mentioned about Merrick Garland, and they said, "Can you imagine they wanted this clown for the Supreme Court?" Which it's, was it's, which was great. Speaking of that, you know, isn't it interesting that um, that uh, Joe Biden has been quote unquote president since January twentieth, and all the media can still talk about is Donald Trump. I know it's true. He's living a rent. Free in their minds, all of their minds. Yeah, and and it's just they're looking like absolute fools. By the way, I also heard. Um, uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Some some something about um, the Democrats just falling way short on in their. Oh, what? I know, I know what it was. Um, CNN and MSNBC have lost fifty percent of their viewership 
just in the last and that, you know why because they don't have trump to talk about that's because well uh, it's the truth yeah and they're just regurgitating all this old news about it and it's, and people are just flipping this dial yeah it's well again i'm back to this point that you made earlier what's a source of information that the people are angry with the democrats and angry with this administration and actually changing their party affiliation as a result do you, do you recall uh, well they had they had one democrat on that was talking about it and and i don't know if it was some study i was i was half reading my telegram um news feed and half listening and um but this democrat was saying trump gave us the opportunity to make a living and to open our businesses we don't see that from from the democrats mm -hmm. and this guy was a lifelong democrat so I think it was some poll or something that they were referring to. I can probably look it up later, yeah. but I thought it was pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. So I mean, to me, I, I, quite frankly, I, I think that he's going to have a real slog, a real difficult time pushing through this very radical left agenda. I mean, apparently uh, he's got some climate legislation that's coming up. He's got this $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus, quote-unquote stimulus package that does little to help people but does a lot for example to bail out blue states and uh it's uh, he's got an agenda that just doesn't make any sense i'm not sure it's going to sell well um yeah and, the, and also they've he's got this nominee they were talking about too this um javier becerra who's health and human services nominee who has who has a background in nothing yeah to even serve in this position and they were describing him as corrupt and and I mean, every name, name in the book they were calling him. So um, Biden is just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure Obama's pu pulling the strings behind the scenes or um, Susan Rice. But Somebody, somebody's pulling the strings for sure because, well, in any event, I mean, you just think about it. How long was he in office at, at, in the Senate as vice president for 27 years, was it? And uh, he didn't accomplish anything. In fact, most of this, the narrative that I hear is that he was wrong on every foreign international decision he was on the wrong side of it so uh hopefully we'll keep him in check for four years until we can get somebody back in the white house hopefully uh president donald trump can i give you one more soundbite here is that i was listening to the um feed by the um they were they were covering a news conference from the state department and the spokesperson said they were giving the spokesperson a really tough time and they're just saying you haven't done anything that that any better than what Trump has done? Trump has, Trump has made all these great decisions about um, for the Department of State, and you don't have any new ideas. Yeah, it's 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 just like watching a weird movie. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Linda Harden again. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. You need to say that Linda and I agree on a lot of stuff. So. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> I, hope, I, I hope it's an interesting conversation to listen to. In any event, I just genuinely appreciate you taking time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, honey. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author. Uh, we'll also visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest has how, well, actually, he's got a new one out, uh, and I don't have the name of it here in front of me, but the one that he just recently released within the last year is uh, how everything happened including us uh, i always appreciate your comments on the show i got a lot of emails yesterday and uh expressing uh support for the show and uh, welcoming me back i appreciate that always appreciate hearing your comments you can send me an email at bob harden at hotmail.com bob harden at hotmail.com i hope you make it a great day on the paradise coast 
or wherever you are, namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>